You're listening to A Journey in American English. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. So, we made it. There was no accident. Chris didn't have to go to work. I wasn't sick. Everything was good. And Chris and I were able to come together and make a very interesting episode that we are very happy to present you with. So, what do we want to talk about today? In today's episode, we want to talk about the military. Specifically speaking, we want to talk about how the military is viewed in modern American society and how it has been viewed historically speaking. Also, we want to talk about patriotism within the context of the US because without patriotism, there is no support, and without any support, there is no military. So, with that being said, let's begin. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. Hope you had a nice week off. Yeah, so it's been, no, it's been two weeks, hasn't it? Yes, yes. Uh, uh, we, we took last week off because I had to go to a work conference. And how'd that go? Most, um, it was about what I expected. Uh, some of it was interesting, some of it was not interesting, and there was free food and some prizes and games, so. Free food, yeah, it sounds really good. So was it like a, on the weekend, right? So it was on Saturday. <laughs> Yeah, it was at a uh, it was at a hotel in a local ski town about an hour away. Mm. Um, they rented or they rented a conference room out in a resort, and they'd have, you know, various people make talks and talk about where the industry's at and things like that. Some of it is legitimately interesting stuff. I, I un I unironically think logistics is super interesting. Uh, oh, so do I. Uh... Yeah, so I I I can just kind of talk about it for a while. And, uh, but you know, it was, it, I would say it was about as good as a work event could be. I mean, I, I've worked in a couple of warehouses in the U S and in Germany. So, I mean, it worked as like, as like a picker. So basically you go down like the aisles and you collect the items and you put them in a box and that gets sent to God knows where, um, that's not at all fun. <laughs> not at all. No, but... that, that sounds awful. <laughs> it is. It's, it's really bad. Um, but, you know, you need money. But the logistics behind it, how everything is mapped out and making sure that, you know, if you send off a package that it gets to where it's going. I think that's incredible. Um, even like with Amazon, where you order something and they send it to you the very next day. And if I think back to when I was in college, like 10 years ago, the idea of having a package and getting it the very next day and it being free, is just to me, it just seems mind blowing. Um, and now I, I couldn't do without. So like waiting a week for something feels like an eternity. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Um, I remember, <laughs> I remember ordering stuff as a kid, like, Oh, I want to buy this used game on eBay. Oh, it's going to be three weeks. That's okay. And now yeah. if something takes a week, it's like, how is this not here already? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But that's I ordered um... a water bottle. How hard is this? I mean, some people abuse it. So, like, because, you know, when they're always delivering stuff, it's kind of bad for the environment. It's bad for the streets. It's bad for the air. Um, and there are some things, do you really need them right away? So if you order, like, a pair of socks, like, do you really need that tomorrow? Or can that wait, like, you know, a couple of days? Right. Especially the human costs. Because, yeah, like you were saying, uh, warehouse work, mm. especially for those kind of distribution centers, is absolutely miserable yeah and you don't get paid a lot um Ooh. 
I mean, when I was in college, it felt like a lot. Of, it felt like a lot of money. You know, <laughs> I can't remember what I get paid. I got paid maybe like nine or ten dollars, maybe. But you know, like ten years ago, that was a lot of money. But uh, for a student, it's a lot of money. <clears throat> but if you're raising a family, uh, nine dollars isn't going to get you very far. So, but yeah. Anywho, so today we don't want to talk about logistics, but we can definitely do that sometime. Um, well, I could go on and on. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that kind of ties into infrastructure, but it's definitely more interesting. <clears throat> yes. But what do we want to talk about today? So we want to talk about uh, the military, how it's perceived in America, its cultural influences, mm-hmm. kind of how the its perception is, uh, especially throughout the different generations and how you may feel growing up versus, you know, when you get to be about enlistment age and then mm-hmm. past, just want to kind of go over everything. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. So we can't really talk about the military without talking about patriotism <clears throat> because I think those two go hand in hand because you can't have one without the other. So if people aren't patriotic, well, they're not going to support the military. No. I, I think that just goes without saying. Um, I don't know if you had this when you were in school, but when I was in high school, which feels like an eternity now, <laughs> but when I was in high school, we had a lot of recruiters. So they would come and they would like build up their booths and you could go up and ask them questions. Like, what's it like being a Marine? What's it like being in, in the Air Force and the Navy? And some of them had like little tests. They had like a pull-up test. So you could go up there and if you did like, let's say like 30 pull-ups in, uh, in one minute, you'd win like, uh, like a bunch of prizes or like cash money or something. And that was a kind that was a way to, um, get people interested in the military, especially after high school, you know, cause that's when I, I would say they're most likely to join is directly out of school. Did you have something like that? Um, the pull-up thing, uh, vaguely rings a bell. I definitely, in my high school, the big main hallway, I remember oftentimes there would be a desk set up with some branch of the military set up there for recruiters. And my high school had a JROTC program, which is uh, basically a program feeding into a program Mm -hmm. in college for like getting people into like officer life in the military. Mm -hmm. So this is like pre pre officer stuff. So I, I knew someone who was in that and uh, they definitely try and get you young. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds a bit, that sounds somewhat mean and cynical, but it is very true. So from a very early age, we have the Pledge of Allegiance and I'm sure you did that in school too. You know, you would stand in front of the flag with your hand over your heart and, and swear allegiance to the flag and the country and God. And from that age, you're pretty much pro-military, pro, uh, pro-constitution, pro pro-U.S., pro-American. So I don't want to say indoctrination because that might be going a bit too far. Um, but it definitely kind of touches on the borders, if you know what I mean. You know, it's um, okay if you don't want. I'm willing to say it. Indoctrination yeah. <laughs> isn't always a bad thing, but that is what that is. Well, you're we, being indoctrinated into that way of thinking into yeah. these are the American values. This is what we as a country are going to believe in. And since you are, you are here, yeah. you are going to do the same. Mm. But I think we have to be careful and distinguish between education and indoctrination because. Uh, oh, yes, yeah, so there's, there's a difference. Yeah, there's definitely a difference. And a lot of people treat them 
as being the same. So like I would say like a very glib comment would be, well, when you go to school, that's like, you know, indoctrination, but it's really not. I mean, if someone's teaching you math, that's not indoctrination. <laughs> that's education. Yes. But I would say if someone prevents you from questioning the system and you're forced to accept everything at face value, I would call that indoctrination. I wouldn't say we have that in the US because you can like question the military. Um, you can criticize it. Um, but you did, you do get a lot of blowback. Um, yes, yeah. it's very uh, socially punishable. Yeah, I don't know if you remember at the beginning of the 2000s, which now feels like it's crazy saying that was 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> but there was there are these bumper stickers because we were in Afghanistan. Um, still are, but we'll be leaving soon, hopefully. And one of these bumper stickers was either uh, you stand behind our troops or you stand in front of them. I don't, did you see like those kind of bumper stickers? I, I didn't see that exact one, but uh, I definitely remember the whole rah-rah support our troops. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You're yeah, with yeah, them yeah. or you're against them. Exactly. Kind of mentality. It was, it was really bad in the Bush era. Yeah, de- it, in, in the Bush era, it was extremely high. I would, I would go so far as to say it, it was probably akin to Vietnam, maybe, in the sense of like how involved we were in a foreign country. Because it was large scale, because the Vietnam War, uh, without cheating, I think it was like 15 years. So it was pretty long. It was directly yeah. after the Korean War. And I don't think it was quite that long, but it was, was definitely it? a good chunk of time. What you might be thinking of is, uh, from what I remember, uh, Vietnam was one of those things that kind of got passed around. You know, I, we tried uh, it for a while, and then I think we passed it off to France for a while, or maybe France had it first. Mm. But I know it was people were taking turns trying to do whatever they were trying to do there and uh nobody really had much success yeah yeah and history has kind of repeated itself with the war in the middle east basically and at the beginning as you said um, it was very gung-ho you know gung-ho basically means uh you're ready to fight you're willing to fight um and like rah rah so that's kind of like an expression um, yep you're 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 ready to go someone yeah. points you in a direction go do that you're like and, say yeah. no more and i don't know if you remember all these songs at the beginning of the 2000s like the, there were so many patriotic songs um about how people are cr- proud to be an american and how bad 9-11 was and that was when support was at its highest oh yeah that was the era of i would argue it's continued to this day of like the worst type of country american country music yeah oh uh, you mean oh you mean like country music as like as the genre yeah oh and here's something i remember that was mm-hmm. fun yeah um, i believe it was the band three doors down are you familiar oh yeah i love three doors down or i used okay. to i don't listen to them anymore but I, i'm pretty sure it was them and they had a a single about uh, the national guard and mm-hmm. it used to play all the time when i would go oh. to the movies they would just play the music video and be like, yeah, look how cool the National Guard is. You should join the National Guard. Isn't the song great? I remember that. What was the song called? Uh, Citizen Soldier. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was super catchy. <clears throat> it definitely was. Yeah, that was definitely propaganda. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Americans don't really like to think of it like that. But 
Um, if you go back to a lot of these movies from like the 80s, like Rocky, you know, that's a classic example, Rocky. And he's, you know, he's a boxer. He's like the all-American person and he's fighting against like the Russians and whatnot. That's definitely propaganda, but we don't really look at it like that because it's more covert, I would say. And that's the same with Citizen Soldier. Hold on. You can't just call Rocky for covert. No, well, I mean, <laughs> you can't do that. Well, no, I mean, yeah, that's, that's true. But if you if you use the word propaganda, a lot of people associate with it being very like open, very negative. <clears throat> but a lot of these movies that we associate with patriotism, we wouldn't call that propaganda. You know what I mean? That's what I meant. Yes. But yeah, oh. it's the, that was like at the height of the Cold War. So the Cold War being uh i would say like after world war ii up until the end of the 80s uh, i believe is the spectrum of the cold war yeah Uh, so basically right before our time it ended so our generation is kind of in a unique position where we're the first generation that doesn't have any of that cold war baggage huh you know what that's that's definitely true i never thought about that but yeah i'm from the the early 90s and so are you Mm -hmm. most people agree that the cold war ended i would say 89 so the the soviet union collapsed i think at the end of the 80s so 89 90 and that was just the death blow basically for the soviet union for communism but yeah which uh tying back to the military because our perception is colored so you had 50-ish, less, a little less than 50 years of Americans knowing that there is a giant superpower out there in the world that at any, to- at any time could flip a switch and atomize us. Yeah. Uh, you... That will change the way you look at the world and the way you will look at your military. Do you know the name of that? Because there's a specific name that was developed in the Cold War era. Oh, I, I, I know what it is. And I uh, mutually assured destruction. Yeah, is that there you go. So it's referred to as mad. So mutually, meaning like two, two things. So two sides assured. So it's going to happen. So that's assured. And destruction. So something is broken. And the theory being that these weapons are so powerful that you can't use them. Because once you attack, like, let's say, a country that has nuclear weapons and they survive that the first thing they're going to do is retaliate so fight back with other nuclear weapons <laughs> yeah and it's going to happen before it's going to happen before the missiles land with, yeah with the with detection even of um yeah i know i know the star wars system that was mostly a defense uh thing ronald reagan got in a place but even before that it takes a while for a missile to travel from russia to the u.s people would know radars existed just fine they would know and well if we're all gonna die you're all gonna die too and there was a famous story i can't remember when it happened but it was during the cold war there was in russia a radar some sort of detection glitch in their system they uh mistakenly story yeah they mistakenly thought nuclear missiles were coming to kill them all yeah so um the man at the switch was ordered fire the missiles and he refused he believed there i i believe the story goes he believed it was a problem or maybe he just refused out of 
um, his morals, but I believe he just thought it was a mistake. And mm-hmm. if he had flipped that switch, uh, the world would be a very different place right now. Yeah, I remember that story. Not personally, because that was before my time. But yeah. <laughs> but I've heard the documentary. Yeah, that's crazy scary. So if we kind of move the conversation back to like military in the U.S., um, I don't know if this is one of your talking points that you wrote down, but last week or the week before, we briefly talked about off air um, about presidents who have military experience. Yes. Mm. Um, so what I remember uh, during the 2008 election, mm-hmm. uh, one thing everyone kept bringing up about Barack Obama was the president is the chief executive of the military. How can you be the chief executive of the military if you've never been in the military? It was some big deal. I remember all the talking heads on TV kept saying, Mm -hmm. oh, there's almost never been a president without military experience. How could how could anybody even consider this? And majority of presidents have had military experience. But yeah, even as recently as Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton had no service uh, record that I'm seeing at the moment and ever since then uh barack Mm. Barack obama had no service donald trump had no service yeah i don't know how true this is but i'm seeing joe biden has no service as well huh i I didn't know that i do know that the uh, trump was attacked a lot for not having military service Uh, supposedly i haven't done a bunch of research on the guy yeah I can't say that I'm a huge fan, so I haven't done like a lot of research, but I do know that Trump was often accused of being um, a draft dodger. Yes, which is a whole is a complicated issue. Mm. I would argue that's worse than just not being in in the military. Not being in the military is whatever, but you know, yeah, trying to avoid the draft, which. It is complicated it's super i'm glad you said that yeah it's super complicated um so for those who don't know a draft is basically when you get forced into the army or the air forces or the air force or the military um so yeah Yeah. i'm glad you said it was complicated because anyone who says it's black or white is in my opinion lying (laughs) yes so in the u.s it's because everything has to have a pretty name to dress it up we call it the selective service and if you're a man and you are 18 you have a certain amount of time to submit your draft paperwork Mm -hmm. in the events for some reason our massive military couldn't handle whatever was coming um you may be called into military action against your will and which obviously is terrible i i I feel like most people can agree that's a pretty immoral thing to do uh, especially in today's world but it's also if you think about it if say there's a draft quota we need ten thousand men Mm -hmm. and you dodge that draft yeah you are saying no i i refuse to go the next man can go and potentially die so it's morally complicated draft dodging though i would argue depending on the thinking behind it you you could look at it It, it, there's a difference between i i will not go because i personally do not want to go and Uh the difference between 
I will not do this because I'm morally opposed to this whole concept. And many men fleed to Canada during yeah. the Vietnam draft and just continued to live there. Viet- I believe Canada welcomed them and gave them citizenship. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And then Jimmy, it wasn't Jimmy Carter. And Jimmy Carter kind of came along in the middle of the war or not the middle of the war. I'm kind of guessing. Um, but Jimmy Carter pardoned a lot of the draft dodgers basically during the Vietnam War. Um, he called it something different though. Um, so basically that would be put into your record, but we're not going to punish you. I believe that's what's what happened. I vaguely remember. But do you know the term slacker? Yes. Yeah, and that's where that comes from. So uh, originally someone a slacker was applied to someone who didn't sign up for the draft and didn't attend service. And so in the 70s, like in the 60s and 70s, people who refused to go to Vietnam were often referred to as slackers. And Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's not that way anymore. I mean, obviously. But now a slacker is just someone who's a lazy person. But that was I, one of... The- I had always imagined the, the root or the source of the word was like slack on a rope. Well, probably. Probably. But this idea of a slacker that was used a lot during like the 60s and 70s to talk about um the soldiers who didn't want to go and yeah a lot of them went to canada (laughs) and they just stayed there germany had a draft up until 10 years ago and this is kind of where the u.s and germany diverge because uh, so the reason why we're talking about vietnam is because after the vietnam war the draft ended so you still have to sign up. It's some sort of, like you said, like selective service. You still have to like sign up. Yes. But no one forces you to go. <laughs> I had to register too. When I was 18, I just, I signed up for my passport and they made me like enter my data, you know, saying like, uh, in the event of an emergency, can we contact you and see if you want to enlist in the army or something? Uh, like a pseudo draft, basically. Yeah. And it's at this point it's basically only if some beyond catastrophic event happened and we it's it's a backup it's it's a drastic backup but that's what it is at this point yeah basic yeah definitely and so it ended after the 70s but the u.s hasn't really had at least this is my opinion i haven't like done a lot of research had really any trouble finding new recruits and as you mentioned with like Three Doors Down and like Citizen Soldier at the height of the Iraq and Middle Eastern War, I mean, people were like lining up in droves to go to, you know, the Middle East. Oh, yes. Whereas in Germany, there's no patriotism, really. So they're having trouble, a lot of trouble finding people to sign up. And um, yeah, I find that very interesting. Hmm. I, I think a lot of the reason is, and this is a highly controversial um, mm-hmm. well, opinion, I suppose. It's one I, I somewhat buy into. I've discussed it with some friends of mine. Mm-hmm. The idea of the draft not existing in the U.S. has, it doesn't exist, but it's changed. In what what is something that has gone up in price exponentially in the in the U.S. that people need right outside of high school? Oh, you mean like college? 
college education. Yeah. And going into the military is essentially a free ride for a college education. So you're mm. basically offering a door like, hey, college is super expensive. You don't want to be bogged down with loans for the rest of your life. You don't want to you're not you don't want to go to school again right after school come on come join the military hang with us for four years it'll be great you'll have a great time you'll make decent money you'll get out you'll have lifetime benefits and we'll pay for your school what could be better that in a way has replaced the draft because people a lot of people need that to have a chance of bettering their lives i never thought of it like that but see that was actually my original idea after high school i wanted to go to the military um, I think they were like saying you could get up, up to a hundred grand, which is a lot of money. But then I, I thought, I think you'd have to be a pretty high up officer for that, but well, or maybe yeah. I'm like, I'm misremembering. It might've been like 30 or I think they have, like, you, you're, you're correct. They had like different programs, but you could get a substantial amount of money, at least enough to pay for college. Um, so maybe maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe it wasn't hundred grand. I don't. I saw that somewhere though. But but any at any rate, um, I was like, I they'll pay for my schooling. But then I thought, well, what if I die? <laughs> yes. What if I die in Iraq or Afghanistan? That money's not going to really help me. And um, that was a huge deterrent because if you join the military, I mean, the chances of you dying are. Yeah, pretty substantial. Fun fact, though, or actually, it's not a fun fact; it's a sad fact, but it's an interesting fact. Is more in, in the past couple of years, more American soldiers have died in training in the U.S. because there are so many training accidents, as opposed to like being abroad. So the chances, oh yes, yeah. So the chances of you dying in training are actually very high, and the chances of you dying abroad are—I don't want to say low, but they're lower than the training casualties i was i was going to say as far as the going abroad and dying mm-hmm. it, i think you'd have some control of that depending on what branch you go into True. and i i can't remember what it stands for but there's something in the military called an mos mm-hmm. I, I cannot remember what it stands for but it's basically your you, what you're going to specialize in in the in the military and uh, so you I do cheated. have some choice in it so you could pick something a little more back-endy you, you know see i didn't know that uh, i double checked real quick and it stands for military occupation code wait but where's that what does the s mean uh that's a good question <laughs> MOS. Like, MOS, uh, yeah. military occupation uh sorry military occupational specialty code there we go okay I forgot the specialty part. <laughs> so that's the uh, that's the MOS. I didn't know that though. Um, so there is this one. Have you seen the movie Saving Private Private Ryan? No, unfortunately. Oh, you have to watch it. And maybe it's a bit overrated, but I still think it's a great movie by Steven Spielberg. So to give you uh, the non-spoiler short version, basically. Um, from what I remember, there's this guy named Ryan, obviously, and he's fighting in a war and all his brothers have died. And so his mother only has him. So that's her only son. And there was this policy. I don't know if it's if this is actually true or still exists, 
but if you only have one child of the military, you're allowed to have that child be brought back. And so basically they send a company, so like a group of soldiers, to go and find him and bring him back home. And that's the premise of the whole movie. Um, hmm. It's a really good movie, by the way. Um, oh, I believe it. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's that's the first I'm hearing of a policy like that. If I'm being honest, that very much sounds like a Hollywood thing, but hmm, maybe. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to say because I, I can see the government not wanting to, you know, wipe out a family through their through their wars and through Mm. the draft i i can somewhat see that yeah definitely definitely um but the military has a lot of respect in the u.s i don't know how much of that respect is genuine because you often hear or read these articles about how veterans are treated how they suffer from ptsd how they have trouble reintegrating into society. This was, I'm sure you remember, so if we kind of circle back to Vietnam, um, they had a very hard time getting adjusted to society because a lot of people weren't welcoming them back. Um, right, because they were the they were the manifestation, they were the personification yeah. of everything they hated about the Vietnam War and the draft system as a whole. Yeah. Even though they were just victims of it. Definitely. A lot of people were opposed to the Vietnam War. The most, one of the most famous people was Muhammad Ali. And he refused to go to Vietnam. Um, with his logic being, they've never done anything to me. Why should I go? And as we said at the beginning of the podcast, he got a lot of blowback. He got a lot of criticism for that. And they stripped him of his boxing license. So he couldn't fight for like two or three years, I think. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. He was opposed to it. But um, I don't want to go off on a tangent uh, with the whole Vietnam War and and the Cold War. Uh, Were were there a couple other points you had written down you wanted to touch on? Well, there is something I wanted to talk about. uh, Because you had brought it up briefly with the Mm -hmm. the military training, what they call basic training, no matter what branch you go into. There is a minimum amount of training you will go to called basic training. Um, you, you know, it's a it's basically boot camp. You're going to live and breathe and sleep it for however many weeks your particular branch has decided you're going to endure. And the idea of it is the person, the individual you are, mm-hmm. is not suited to the life of a soldier, a sailor, a Marine, an airman, whatever they're trying to turn you into. They're trying to turn you into a blank slate. They're going to break you down, put you through all these things. You have, you're completely at your lowest point. And then the ideas from there, they build you back up into what they want you to be, to be useful for that branch of the military. And some people have said it's, coming out on the other side of it they feel great um Hmm. one of the best experiences of their lives real you know quote-unquote character building uh some people really were not uh fans of how that process works i had a friend who was in basic for the army Mm -hmm. and he had to come back home halfway through because they make you run a lot in really? basic training and they make you run a good amount in full combat gear which is very heavy uh, including helmets 
protective gear packs. I think it can be around 100 pounds. Yeah, I was going to say that's that's a lot. Yes, and that's a lot of strain on your body, especially your legs. So he wound up getting shin splints, which is sort of like almost you're getting to the point where your legs are cracking and they could break, but it's very, it's a slow death by a thousand cuts sort of thing. So he had to drop out and it is not very kind to you when you drop out, even if you have to, for medical reasons, they don't want it to be appealing. They don't want it to be an appealing option for you in any way. Mm -hmm. So his experience was he was basically isolated from everyone else. Didn't have access to his phone didn't mm-hmm. really have anything to do. Basically, he just sat there for a couple weeks before he could come back home. Um, yeah, so so was he dishonorably discharged? Or I don't know if that applies in that scenario. I, I don't, because he didn't have rank. He was, a, he was in basic, so I have no idea the specifics of it, but mm-hmm. it's uh, it definitely doesn't color their training in a very positive light. I mean, I get it. I understand that you have to put them through hell so they can, you know, be useful to the country. But still, um, they've also had been having problems finding recruits. So there's been talk about like lowering the standards so that more people can come in. But, you know, that's, I don't know, that's the best of ideas <clears throat> to, to lower standards for the military. Although I'll be completely honest, I don't exactly know what the standards are at the moment, but still. Right. I know it was controversial a while ago, Mm -hmm. the idea that they should lower some special forces requirements for women. Yeah. I I am a big fan of, I want everyone involved in everything, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, if to be in the special forces, you should be able to lift X amount of pounds above your head because it's going to be you and four other people storming a beach three in the morning and you need to carry this boat that Mm. you took there as quickly as possible yep you just you just have to be able to do it if if you can't do it people might die so that's true i mean like as you pointed out before it's not like you're always on the battlefield so yes there's plenty of desk jobs out there yeah yeah and i never thought about that but doing a desk job but that's definitely important so i'm wondering have you heard of the policy don't ask don't tell Yes, that was another uh, that was another major deal in the Bush uh, era. Yeah, well, that was in the Clinton era, wasn't it? Uh, but it was around the two thousands. It was around like the end uh, end of the two thousands, I believe. Um, I I think it was the Bush era. I was alive for the Clinton era, but I really remember the Bush era. Yeah, if it didn't start in the Bush era, it was definitely it was, a feature the whole time. Def yeah, exactly. So. Um, Basically, don't ask, don't tell was a policy in the American military, which basically said, or dictated rather, um, if you were anything other than straight, so heterosexual, don't talk about it and don't ask anyone. And so there was this policy that if you were, for example, gay, that you couldn't serve in the military, that they didn't want you. And there wasn't like a written policy, I believe, but it was more like unspoken, like an unwritten rule, basically. Oh, as far as I knew, it was 
it, it was just a rule you couldn't be homosexual in the military. Oh, was it, full, was full it actually sp- written? Okay. Yes. So the whole uh, don't ask, don't tell thing was kind of touted as a progressive step forward. Like, hey, you technically can't be here, but I'm not going to ask you. Yeah. So don't tell me and you can be here. It was kind of seen as a look. You shouldn't be here. But just pretend, just pretend to be straight and it's fine. Well, you're fine. Yeah. It was kind of seen as we want, we want you not for you, but we just want more bodies. So help us out. We'll help you out. Looking back, it's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm glad. Obviously. And I, I, I don't even know how a law like that was on the books for or a rule like that was on the books for as long as it was feels it seems com- extremely unconstitutional but yeah it's i think it's disgusting in all honesty like a very i feel very strongly about that i can understand that you say hey um if women want to serve in the military they have to meet the same requirements as men or maybe women can't be on the front lines but they can work at like at desks or something or I don't know, or they can be like mechanics or something. Um, I, I'm not saying women can't be on the front lines. Of course they can't, but, but I think you know what I mean. Um, yeah. I think the, the same standards should apply to anyone coming to the military. And if you can meet those standards, so if your health works out, if you can lift a certain amount, if you can run a certain distance, uh, if you can carry a gun, if you can be disciplined and meet all that fun stuff, then by all means, you should be allowed in the military. And I, I never understood what your sexuality had to do with that. So absolutely. Yeah, I, I didn't it, get it, it. It would be all it, it. It's like any professional work environment. If if your sexuality is causing a problem and disturbing people, that's that's sexual harassment. <laughs> yeah, You're causing a disruption <laughs> and you shouldn't be welcome no matter what. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, and something I did want to touch on more. Yeah, sure. Shoot. So we, we, we've talked a little bit about uh, the military, you know, the frontline jobs, the, mm-hmm. the desk jobs. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, having known people who've served kind of on both sides, they have very different mentalities. And um, so, for example, uh, my father works with someone who mm-hmm. I believe was an he's an ex-airman and I believe he still does some reserve work. So sometimes he'll be gone for a week every month or so to have to do some mandatory reserve stuff. Mm -hmm. His wife is an officer and she works in, and I can't remember exactly what she does, but she works in an office. Very, very, I believe it's it stuff. Yeah. So very dry, very not exciting, very not what you think of military. And I've met her a few times. She's, quite nice you would have zero idea she's military um just speaking to her i would think Mm -hmm. and you know she doesn't have a shaved head or anything she has pretty long (laughs) hair but that's also another difference different branches of the military have different uh dress and hair codes you can get away really oh yes you can get away with a lot more in different branches i didn't know that the the general idea that people have is going from most strict to least strict in terms of uh lifestyle marines Mm -hmm. are the most strict you get the worst food you get yeah very strict then it goes army navy air force Hmm. 
those are like the four main active branches. And uh, in the Air Force, you get the best food. You have the most lax standards. That's that's the the general consensus. And I'm sure there's a wide variety out there, depending on what you're actually doing or where you are. But hmm. that's the stereotype. Anyway, so she works that desk job. She's an administrator. She, uh, just mostly acts like what you would imagine someone in middle management would act. Mm -hmm. And then I've had friends who have been in more combat roles and they don't talk about it a lot. Um, I had a friend who every veterans day uh, token, I would say, Hey, you know, thanks. Just kind of low key because he, you know, was that kind of guy. He's like, Oh, don't like me. I I liked Mm -hmm. what I did. It's fine. Mm Mm-hmm. Because some, some people just don't like to talk about it. Some people really, really liked what they did. Because uh, it's it's undeniably can be an exciting career. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Getting paid to travel the world and go exciting places and mm. do all sorts of crazy things other people don't get to see with million-dollar hardware. <laughs> yeah, and then there are people a... who just do not talk about it. You will mm-hmm. never know. So, like we were saying earlier, there's mm-hmm. a there's a stigma. A lot of veterans don't always get treated the best uh, once they come back stateside. There's also a thought, and I've, I've seen this sentiment online in a few places. Some veterans come back and aren't well-adjusted to civilian life. Some of them don't always act in a super, trying to say this diplomatically, some of them aren't always the most polite oh, okay. I, I would suppose yeah. there's mm-hmm. there's a bit of toxic max, masculine masculinity mm-hmm. which has always been an issue in the military mm-hmm. so i've seen some people just won't talk about it because they don't want to be associated with that it was just they did it they're back put it behind them i don't want to be associated with those guys and you know as many people as in the military there's going to be i'm sure thousands of of different backgrounds and and results you'll get from people coming back home but those are just kind of the the various ones i've known about roughly yeah i i completely agree with you and i've met those kind of people too on the one hand for like veterans day and memorial day i did feel like a sense of obligation to thank people who served in the military regardless of their branch on the one hand I thought that would be kind of nice and respectful. But on the other hand, as you rightfully mentioned, I have no idea what they actually feel about their service, you know? So it could have been like the best time of their life, quote unquote, whatever that means, or the complete opposite. You know, it could have been like the worst time of their life and they were so traumatized from the war that they never want to talk about it again. And I I kind of um, liken it to helping disabled people. So if you see like a disabled person trying to open a door, let's say they're having a hard time, someone will want to go to them and help them, you know, and they they might be very grateful for the help or they might be actually mad at you because you think that they can't do it. You know what I mean? Yes. And so that's kind of the danger of helping people who are visibly disabled so like they have problems walking they have problems sitting stuff like that is maybe they don't even want your help and like you said with your friend like maybe they don't even want your gratitude and they might actually react negatively to it 
Yes. And and he wasn't negative about it, which oh, okay. again, people are complicated. He was just yeah. like, you don't have to like he got paid to do what he liked to do. He was mm. kind of a front lines kind of guy, and he absolutely loved that lifestyle. Like it was a hundred percent for him. It's what he loved to do. And it, it'd be like I don't know. Thanking him for that was like, hey, man, thanks for going. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. thanks for going and doing the thing you love. Thank you for going mountain climbing on the weekend. <laughs> That's one way. It, it, was, it was weird to him. Like, why would you thank me for doing something I really wanted to do? That's true. But I guess that shows more that shows his character, you know, what a good person he is, um, because there are people who are just looking for glory. and. I don't know if you can necessarily find glory in the military. You probably can, but that shouldn't be the reason why you join, you know? So my policy, so my philosophy is I'm, I don't necessarily support military actions, like being involved in other countries, unless it's absolutely necessary. And more often than not, I don't feel like it is. Um, Definitely not. And a lot of Americans would agree with me because the war in the Middle East is becoming increasingly unpopular, which is why we're leaving. But I do, I do support and I do, um, and I am grateful for the fact that they signed up for the service, they do their service, and then they go home, you know, so they, they stick to the contract, they stick to what they signed up for. And for that, I do respect them, even though I might not necessarily support the war in of itself you know what i mean yes you want the individuals so you want to support the individuals you want them to be treated well you want them exactly to be safe, but you don't yeah. necessarily believe what they're being ordered to do yeah exactly yeah because in the military you don't really have your you don't have like a choice you know if they say you're going to japan to, to be stationed there then you're going to japan maybe you have a bit of like leeway but in general once you're in the military it's your job to follow orders. <laughs> yes. And a lot of people in this country have a very hard time comprehending an, an idea as nuanced as that, which I don't think is that complicated. No, it's really but, not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't go so far as saying it's like you're a slave to the military, but definitely you have to follow orders. So... Um, Oh, there's some argument there. I, I believe some of the paperwork you have to sign, you are technically signing over. I don't know how true this is, but I remember hearing mm -hmm. a lot about this. If you're in the military, you can't get a tattoo because oh. when you're in the military, your body is property of the state. Huh. Oh. People will get them, but it's <laughs> it's one of those like technical technicalities things. It's and that's like... something, maybe that's an urban myth. I remember hearing that a lot a few years ago, but... Mm. That kind of reminds me of prison, you know, like you're not allowed to get tattoos, but everyone has them. <laughs> so, <laughs> Make the prison needles. Yeah, that's true. No, we'll have to uh, double check that and, and see how true that is with the tattoos. So unfortunately, we're completely out of time. Do you have like a quick point you want to touch on before we go? Ooh. Yeah, I think I can condense this real quick because it's okay, something sure. I wanted to get in there. Mm -hmm. So this was something really, it's still really popular, yeah. but I think it's popular with everyone high school age at that point. Uh, Call of Duty was a really big deal when I was in high school. It still is a yeah. big deal, but they yeah. were more grounded back then. It was less sci-fi stuff. It was mm -hmm. more slight future past stuff. And that those 
people my age, it really made us into the whole military tactics thing. You're like, oh, I could go do that for a living. It, I don't know if it was intentional, but it, it was very effective propaganda. It made a lot of people uh, want to go into that. Made yeah. me want to for a while. I, I'm, I, I wasn't immune to it. At one point in time, I would like, oh man, I can just get in the best shape of my life because I have <laughs> asthma. So uh. I'm almost completely uh, not eligible for military service. I would have to be worth it. So I'd have to be like the best shape of my life and be an officer in like a valuable field and I could make it. And I was like, I'll do it. I'll do mm -hmm. it. <laughs> it's very unrealistic for me. Yeah, that remind. Uh, we'll close on a more happy note. Uh, like the military is somewhat uh, unhappy in that sense. But like Finding Nemo, um, after people saw the movie Finding Nemo, it increased uh, the sale of like clownfish to the point where they they were almost like extinct because so many people wanted to have them because the, the kids saw the movie. <laughs> so that just goes to show you how powerful, you know, movies can be and how powerful, or, or games, because Finding Nemo is a, a movie, not a game. But yeah. Yeah, so that was um, it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, with a brand new topic. And yeah, take care. See you then. Take care, everyone. Have a good week. <laughs> Bye.